chapter 3, verses 7 to 19, the writer of Hebrews gives us a stern warning to believers and actually repeats it several times. So we should take heed of this warning to the church. Now, speaking primarily to Christians of a Hebrew background scattered across the Middle East and the Roman Empire, the author reminds his audience of some basic history lessons of how Israel interacted with God and how God dealt with them in their sin and rebellion. My proposition is the author warns us as Christian believers to mortify sin and live in repentance and faith. So the first verses 7 to 12 tells us this stern warning by way of remembrance. What does he say? It's spoken by the Holy Spirit. Verse 7. The Holy Spirit says. And so we have it here. On assurance. This is not just the opinion. Of the writer of Hebrews. But this is the direction of God's Spirit. So we must pay attention. So what does he say? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, some commentators feel this is referring to Exodus 70 when the people complained we have no water and we're going to die out here in the desert and they complained to Moses and Moses asked the Lord and the Lord gave the provision of water out of the rock. That story is referenced in 1 Corinthians 10 that we just read. But as we read other passages, there are other times of rebellion of the people. In Numbers 21, they complained about the food 
about not having meat to eat. And God sent meat. And then judgment. God sent a judgment of poisonous snakes. We read in Exodus 32 of a great day of rebellion. Where's Moses? We don't know where he went. So they asked his brother, Aaron, we need a God. Make for us a God to lead us since Moses isn't here. And we know that they took the gold and Aaron made this golden calf that they worshipped this false god. But not only that, it was a time of perversion and idolatry and immorality. And so we have these moments in the history of Israel. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10 how they rebelled against God. They tested God. They tried God in their hardness of hearts. So here in chapter 3, the writer says, Today, if you hear his voice, as in the day of trial, the Father's destiny saw my works for 40 years, but I was angry with that generation. They went astray in their hearts. They did not know my ways. And I swore my wrath. They would not enter my rest. Now, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95, which is referencing these events in Exodus Reminding the people of Israel, remember what God did. God brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. He led you by a door of cloud and a door of fire. He provided you manna and water. He provided you protection and leadership. And what did you do? You disobeyed me. You went after idols. You even made my servant Aaron lead you in sin. And so Hebrews 7 says, Do you remember this? You Christians, today, in this first century, 
Do you remember the scriptures? What the Spirit said? Israel rebelled. Remember, this is a warning. Because God was tested and impatient and angry with them in their sin in the wilderness. Notice, again, this is the word of the Spirit. But notice, he says, today. Did you ever see in this passage that the author tells us this word three times today? Do you think it's important that he says it three times? What's he mean? He means now, this day, not tomorrow, not after you do many things and lead a sinful life and in your old age. I'll turn back to God. He's saying, today, you hear the voice of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God. Today, stop sinning. Do not harden your heart in unbelief. Today is the day of repentance and faith. Think about that. How often we say, I like my sin. I'll get around to changing another day. I want to have this time of sowing my wild oats of doing what I want to do. But the Spirit is saying to us, don't live like that. Today, if you hear the voice of God, stop, listen, repent, obey, obey. Do not be like Israel, who tested me and tried me for 40 years. They tested God, and he was angry with that old generation who always went astray in their hearts, going astray starts in our hearts. We think about sin. It's our desires, James says. Our desires lead to sin. And sin ultimately to death. And in verse 11 he said, God swore 
in his wrath. That people who tested my patience, my goodness, my grace, will not enter my rest. Both the promised land of Canaan and the eternal rest. This is a stern warning to believers. These Jewish believers in the first century scattered by persecution. This writer steeped in Jewish understanding but preaching the gospel reminds them don't be like Israel. Don't test God. Don't go astray. Today is the day of repentance and faith. Ask yourself the question How might I be going? astray. Our drifting in the sin can be very subtle. A few thoughts, a few patterns we think we're canoeing down the stream but pretty soon we're off track somewhere. We think we're walking the straight path. But pretty soon we're in some sort of spiritual wilderness. It's often very subtle. How does that impact you? How does that show up in your life? Because the warning is strong. If God judged his covenant people, the church in the wilderness, he can judge and purge the church in the 20th, first century. Also, today, do not harden your hearts. Now, in verses 13 to 19, the author repeats this warning to these Christians, to his audience. But it applies to us, even if we're not Jewish Christians. So he says in verse 12, strong languages, beware brethren, that is 
to the believers, male and female, young and old, what we call the brethren, the family of God. Beware, lest any one of you have in your heart an evil heart of unbelief that leads to a departure from the living God and his ways. That's what Israel did. They're characterized by unbelief. They didn't follow Moses. They didn't obey the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments had been given to them in Exodus 20. But a little period later, chapter 32, they're bowing down to a golden calf in idolatry. They're committing immorality, breaking the seventh commandment. Their life is unbelief because there's evil in our hearts. So the warning is repeated. Is your heart evil, full of unbelief, disobeying God, not trusting God, not obeying God, departing from the ways of God? Again, the departure often comes in slow and subtle ways. I don't feel like going to church. It's too cold. The preacher's too long. I don't like the music. I have family stuff. I have work. I want to watch the football game. Next thing you know, you haven't been in church in months. Or it's just too difficult to read the scriptures every day. I got other things to do. Prayer is difficult. I find it a challenge. So why bother? I don't think God answers anyways. So those subtle signs of unbelief going astray leads ultimately to total departure from God and his ways. And people who do that often end up denying Christ as Lord and Savior. So the warning is strong. If you call yourself 
one of the brethren, one of the members of the church, beware lest this happen. But he continues. That our hearts are corrupt and evil, full of deceit and unbelief, departing from God's ways. Now in verse 13, he gives a word of exhortation to the members of the church. He says, exhort one another daily. While it's called today. What does that mean? Why does he say that? Well, the call is for us to all live lives of faith and belief in holiness, but to be on guard. To care for the other brothers and sisters. Lest you see someone starting to go astray down the path of destruction. <clears throat> He's saying, exhort one another while you can. So we read in James chapter 5 if you're sick call for prayer and anointing sing praises sing psalms confess your sins to one another pray for each other care for each other that you might turn a brother from sin back to a life of faith and obedience. That if you intercede, you may keep someone from gross sin. And that loving intervention, that exhortation covers a multitude of sins. First Thessalonians chapter 5. You know, in Thessalonians, it talks about the second coming of Christ. But Paul is practical in chapter 5. While you're looking for that great day, Here's about 19 commands I want you to do in chapter 5, including encourage the weak, strengthen the weak, exhort them, admonish them. And so there's many things that he tells us to do. To help our fellow believers 
in Christ. And so, here's a word for us as members of the church, and especially the Mark and I as elders, to exhort someone lest the hearts become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, he says daily, don't put this off. Don't wait months and years. But again, the second time, he says, today. He said today, in verse 7, again, today, now. Now, <clears throat> notice, to do this while there's still time, not later, but before the drifting becomes gross sin. Because, why is this warning important? Because our hearts are easily deceived. We're deceived by sin. The devil tells us lies. The world tells us lies. I'm sure you can think of many examples in our culture that are grossly unbiblical. And the world says, it's okay. And so, we're easily deceived to disobey. And there's deceitfulness, even from our own flesh. We don't see that sometimes. We don't see those lies that we tell ourselves. That's why it's important that other brothers and sisters exhort us. To help us to repent of sin. The devil stood before Eve and lied to her. Is that what God said? And she believed it. Adam didn't stand up for his wife. He didn't intervene and say to, to the devil, get out of here. He didn't say to Eve, don't listen. Listen to God. So we're challenged here today. Lest someone 
heart become hard by deceit. That's exhort and challenge and call our fellow believers and even ourselves to recognize that God's Spirit can search me and show me my sinfulness. I confess, how about you? I don't like that too much. It's easy to see it in someone else, but not in me. Now, So remember, two times he has said, today, let's do this. Now why? Besides the need for the church to be holy and walk in faith and obedience, verse 14 tells us that you believers are partakers of Christ. You are not united to the devil or of the world, of the kingdom of the devil. You are of the kingdom of Christ. You are partakers in the person and work of Christ. You are united to Jesus. You have been crucified with Jesus. You've been baptized with Jesus. You've been buried with Jesus. You've been resurrected with Jesus. That's Romans 6. So, the writer here is saying, Stop this gross sin. Turn from deceit. Exhort one another. Because all of you believers are in Christ. So hold fast. Do what you started with. Your confidence in Christ. Hold fast and persevere in faith all the way to the end. The problem is many people start okay it seems with Christ. But Jesus said in Matthew 13, the sower parable, some people hear the word of God, but it doesn't really take root. It's shallow. They like it. But when there's trouble and persecution, 
they turn away. Or other people hear the word of God. But the world and its pleasures, its deceits, choke it all out. And they don't bear fruit for Christ. So, we're called not just hear the word, but be doers of the word. To let the word go deep into our hearts and change us. And steadfastly stay with Christ, our Savior, to the end. Because he who started a good work will bring it to completion. He who predestined ultimately glorifies. So that should be encouraging to us today. That God, God's grace, God's provision is satisfactory to keep us to the end. But we're called to look to Christ. We're called to abide with Christ. Because we're branches connected to the true vine. Israel in the wilderness did not do that. God brings them through the Red Sea. He leads them in miraculous ways. He defeats their enemies. He gives them the law. And what do they do? It's too hot. We don't like the food. We don't have enough water. We'd rather go back to Egypt. Blah, blah, blah. They did not steadfastly look to God who had done great and miraculous things. So we're, in God, we're called to persevere and endure despite temptation and trouble to the end of life or this age of this age. Christ is sufficient. We're called to endure because we're partakers of Christ. It's not our strength. It's the strength of Jesus. So again, in verse 15, he repeats the warning. He repeats the verse from Psalm 95. Today, the third time he said it, if you hear God's voice, the word of the Spirit, do not harden your hearts. Again, 
we should take this seriously. What causes me to have a hard heart? What causes me to shake my fist at God? To be bitter? To be angry? To say to God, I deserve better. Why is this happening? Again, the changes are often slow and subtle. But the next thing we know, we're far off from God. And our hearts are hard. Later on, we're going to study chapter 6. And the writer tells us that for some people who have tasted something of the goodness of God, to turn from God in apostasy and rebellion, they will never be restored. So this warning the writer's giving here is serious business. And we should think, am I drifting? Am I growing hard? The Spirit is calling us to repent. Believe the gospel again. Stay with Christ. Don't be like Israel. They didn't. Verse 16. He reminds us. Israel heard. They heard the word of God. God actually spoke in the wilderness. God spoke through his servant and prophet, Moses. God gave them the word of God, the law. They heard God. They were not ignorant of God. They had seen God's work. God had led them for years. They saw the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. They saw God's provisions, God's power on display. All those years. But verse 16 says, Despite what they saw, what they heard, they rebelled against God. Sadly, many people in the church today often grow up in the church 
see much of God's goodness and grace. Hear the word of God preached. And people turn their back in rebellion. Again, the warning is, you've heard, you've seen, you have the word of God, you have the spirit, don't harden your heart, don't rebel against God. And the writer reminds us, it was not all Israel who came out of Egypt. Perhaps hundreds of thousands crossed the Red Sea. By some figures, 600 and some thousand men. We don't know for sure, but men, women, children, by great numbers led out of Egypt into the wilderness under God's strength and power. And verse 16 says, not all of them saw God's rest. They came out of Egypt but perished in the wilderness. Verse 17. Who was God angry with? Every last one of them. Because of their persistent unbelief and rebellion. This is very sobering. Forty years of God's mercy and provision and grace and forty years of Israel grumbling, complaining, disobeying, hardening their hearts and rebelling. That should be very sobering to us today. Am I like that? And who is God angry? Is he, he's angry because they sinned. Make no mistake. Their behaviors were sinful. It wasn't just they thought about it. It wasn't just they murmured. Those things are bad enough. They committed gross sin, idolatry, immorality, and many other things. And it says in verse 17, their corpses, their bodies, fell in the wilderness. 
And what did God say? Verse 18. God swore. By, how did he swear? Chapter 6 again. By his own being. And by his covenant. This is what I will do. I will not allow this sinful people to enter my rest. And that includes crossing the Jordan in the Canaan, but also his eternal rest of salvation. They are separated from God. What serious things we see. This is the stern warning given to us three times today, now. Don't go after idols. Don't rebel. Don't harden your heart. Because it's clear These hundreds of thousands of people, men, women, children, that generation perished in the wilderness. Not always a direct judgment of God, but perhaps of just natural illness. But Do you remember, only two people entered the promised land. That was Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses, that great humble servant, did not enter because he struck the rock twice in disobedience. So, God's judgments are strong. And we saw and studied Acts 15, chapter 5 last week that Ananias and Sapphira thought they could get away with the deceitfulness of sin and lie to God. And the spirit. And the greed. And God said no. And just as he judged. Israel. He judged them. In the early church. And. God. Brings judgment. Against sin. Not always. To eternal damnation. But he does bring suffering. And he does. Sometimes bring. Early death. So these are. Severe things. So the warning is here. Examine your hearts. 
How's my walk with Christ? Am I grieving the Spirit? Am I walking with the Spirit? Or am I deceiving myself? And the challenge to exhort one another because it's a brotherly, sisterly duty, duty to show love for your neighbor because you care. You know, we might say, it seems awfully unfair. God brought these people out of Egypt and then struck them all down. Man, he's pretty harsh and mean. So what do you think? Well, think back that God is absolutely 100% holy and just and he deals with sin. He does not tolerate a little leaven messing up the bread. He doesn't tolerate patterns of sin. He calls us to repent, to turn from it, and believe the gospel continue with Christ because of his holiness. We deceive ourselves if we think as perhaps many in Israel thought God chose us God made a covenant God gave us the law God gave us a prophet we must be okay. I'm okay. I'm on good terms with God. But God says, no, you're not. I guarantee you, there is no rest for your soul in this day and in the future. Because I must judge sin. Because I am holy. We meet people on the street. Many times you say, no, I don't need that. I don't want that tract. I don't care about your preaching. Me and God are in good terms. I'm okay. No, you're not. God judges sin. In the professing believer and in the unbeliever. Those who reject the gospel do not have God's eternal rest. That's what he says here. Verse 19. They would not enter God's rest. They would not cross the Jordan. 
and be part of that nation. Nor would they be in union with God even after death. They would not enter his rest. Why? Because he says in verse 19 because of unbelief. <clears throat> it goes back to this, brothers and sisters. This is one of our probably root sins. Unbelief. Did God say that? Is God true? Is God's way correct? Is Jesus really the truth, the life, the way? Now we all have doubts. But the Word of God calls us to consider the truth of God, the truth of the Word. God said, I will bring Israel to the promised land. He did, but it was not that generation that disbelieved. So remember, yes, we have doubts, but he calls us to live by repentance, by faith, and to continue to trust God, His goodness, His grace, His mercy. Again, three times today, now, pay attention. Do not harden your hearts. But, Repent and believe and follow Christ. A couple action points. Read Hebrews chapter 4. Second, take this warning as believers. Seriously. Live in repentance and faith. Put on the full armor of God so that you may live a holy, productive life of servant, service to Christ. Do not let deceitfulness of sin go unchecked today or tomorrow. And the other thing for believers, exhort one another while we still can before it's too late and someone has sinned grievously or is perhaps passed from this world into eternity and the third action point 
if this is a strong warning to us as a church, what does this mean for the world around us? If God will judge the church first, what does this mean for the unbelievers around us? We must preach the gospel in season and out of season as individuals and as a church because we know and fear God and know the dare of the Lord. If God judged people he made a covenant with because of his holiness, God will certainly judge the world and the devil and the kingdoms of this world. But my brothers and sisters, as a strong warning, this should encourage us out of love to preach Christ to those who are currently unbelieving while there's still time because God will not lose not a single one of his elect. So preach Christ that his kingdom might be built. Father in heaven, thank you for these warnings to today to walk in faith, not unbelief, not in deceit. By your spirit, by your word, let us think on Christ. Let us turn from the subtlest of sin. Let us hate it. Let us mortify sin in our bodies because we are crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, Christ who lives in us. And Father, out of love for each other, may we exhort other brothers and sisters, maybe family members or neighbors, co-workers who profess faith to walk with Christ and not live in unbelief and out of love for God, for Christ, and our neighbors, the world around us. May we preach Christ with a strong warning 
give out the gospel because the world is truly full of sinners in the hands of an angry, just, and holy God who must judge sin. But praise to God that God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God. God judged in Christ. All we must, all we had to judge that we in Christ might become all we cannot and will not judge for his glory.